Hi, welcome to the second episode of Rant About It by the Philosophy, Politics and Economic Society. So just before we start, I want to tell you guys about our Insta, Insta handle, which is B-U-P-P-E Society. So please follow us and keep updated on all of our events. You can also like us on Facebook. It's called Boston University PPE Society. So now we're going to start with the first topic of the day, which is alternative milks. Does anyone feel particularly passionate about alternatives to milk? I am a soy milk person. <laughs> I do excessively drink soy milk also, and a lot of people tell me about the estrogen thing, but, you know, I think it's the best choice out there. Wait, what explain? estrogen thing? I didn't know that. Apparently, like, soy, soy itself has a lot of estrogen, so apparently it's not good for a woman. That's why they all start using, like, they all, wow. <laughs> That's why everyone's like, almond milk is better for you, but then almond milk is bad for the environment because it... You, it uses a lot of water to um, grow it. And also when you actually make almond milk at home, if you do the um, the rest of the almonds, like after you um, get the milk out of it and everything, there's a lot left. So it, it's really wasted a lot. And if you use the rest of it to make cake and stuff, that's great. <laughs> but in, like factories don't do that, I think. So but, there's a problem there. Yeah, the broad idea that we kind of talked about was the struggle to make that ethical decision of like not um like you think that you could change one small part about your life or your diet and it would leave a good impact on the environment for example um or on your health but then like almond milk like you were saying it uses so much water i think one of the members talked about how 10 percent of water um, consumption in California goes to almond farming, and then when there was a drought, people are like, "Oh, let's just stop making almond milk." And then the almond farmer lobby got really upset about that, obviously. And then we kind of tied it back to our conversation about purpose in society because their entire livelihood, you know, was being threatened by this drought and the ban on um, producing almond milk. And um, you know, it's a difficult line to teeter and like figure out what you're gonna do. I personally just don't drink milk that often. <laughs> um, so it's not really an issue to me. Um, but yeah, I told Dennis immediately like about the estrogen thing and how it could potentially lead to a higher risk of breast cancer. And, I, and then I think um, Zoe said, it might just be for developed women like women in developing countries. Developed women is kind of an odd phrase. Developed women countries. in developed countries um, that have a higher risk of like breast cancer um, related to this, I guess. So I don't really know. Is that because women in developed countries are more likely to have almond milk? No, not almond milk. Um, I mean, soy, soy milk. I have no idea what the relationship is, to be honest with you, and I haven't read much about the study, so I can't really she say for sure. something about like the digestion or something? I don't even know, honestly. I've been drinking soy milk for eight <laughs> years now, and I'm feeling fine. <laughs> and whenever I say this, she's like, no, but it's And the other thing <laughs> that was funny about it was like, the people who make these alternative milk options, especially at coffee shops, they're like super hipster, like, you know, all for saving the environment. But then you get an indisputable fact that making almond milk uses a lot of water consumption. There was so actually like, a cafe in Ankara and they were refusing to make almond milk because it wastes a lot of water. Yeah. So it's not that hard to not do it, but 
I mean, so I'm up for life. <laughs> oh, I just man. think we, you can't win with milk like at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I just don't stop drinking at all because I don't know if like you guys saw this in your countries, but in Mexico, this weird thing happened like years ago that the main uh, producer of, of cow milk, they just started saying that cow milk was good for you, like in a that Commercial. you needed yeah. to drink milk like every day and it was like a campaign for it yeah that, that's the thing in turkey too and you need to drink milk every day in the states too when yeah. they're little oh yeah the milk ads. they got milk ads yeah. in schools guys yeah, i think yeah. that's global like people okay, every yeah. yeah literally <laughs> tell their kids to have milk yeah i also and heard that after 18 your milk um and like digestion slows down it's bad for you actually yes like, exactly cow milk I, I grew up like I don't know I think is it always bad for you or just when you're older is it okay I think it's older. but I don't I don't think it's as it's needed at, like they said in the ads oh. and mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's yeah. not no I agree it's not like specifically good for you mm -hmm. yeah. yeah you can um, get you can um, take get, vitamins take calcium you can take vitamins but you can um, get lactose intolerant at any point in your life yeah Yeah. Oh yeah, no. Honestly, I'm actually much more lactose intolerant now than I used to be. Yeah, me too. It's it's rough out here being an adult, <laughs> honestly. Um, so I personally like milk a lot. I have it a lot, and my roommate drinks almond milk. So I tried to switch to that for a while, and I did. I had almond milk for a few weeks, like four or five, and it just it's just not satisfying. It's just so. It's so thin. I use. Did you try soy milk? Wrong. I think almond. I didn't milk try is soy milk. Too. I don't like almond milk that much. It's so thin. It's, it's like, like water. watered down milk. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Soy milk is not like that. <laughs> yeah, and so I even add milk to my um, eggs sometimes when I'm making yeah, omelets and like make it fluffier, right? And when I add almond milk oh, to that, it just no. it no. tastes weird, and yeah. I just I don't like the consistency. So I just switch back to milk now, and I have whole milk every day, and I love it. <laughs> I mean, you do you. You do. You do you. That's all I have to yeah, say about that. Yeah, do it while that. you can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I know what it's like. <laughs> I can't. I feel like whole milk, I don't know, it tastes weird to me now. It's just too much. It's like I can taste like the whole fat. Mm. How do you guys eat your cereal? I don't eat cereal. cereal. I eat oh it with soy milk. Cereal is also just a huge marketing thing that happened to us when we were little. Yeah. They're like, Breakfast you need to have cereal. And it's like 30 grams of sugar per serving. Depends on what kind of cereal. You can buy cereals I mean, that are most, made with beans <laughs> right now. They're very healthy. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Beans. I just am more of an eggs person in the morning. Mm. Or fruit, or like nothing at all, because that's I how my life has been going lately. Oatmeal and yes, actually. <laughs> There are some countries that actually <laughs> banned putting uh, caricatures in the front of the boxes. I think it was Chile who oh, wow. did it first because you know, it attracts caricatures. children. Yeah, it attracts children exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, so they that's banned it, song. and they have to like put in really big letters the amount of uh, of sugar it has, mm -hmm. and yeah, just no caricatures at all mm -hmm. because they don't want children to. Like be attracted to mm -hmm. that stuff. That's smart. I like that. Well, anyways, that was definitely a philosophical, economic, <laughs> and political conversation. Um, it, it really was. It is even if it doesn't seem like that. It's economical, honestly. Here, like alternative milks and normal milk have the same price, but when I go home, It's like five times the price, yeah. so you need to make some adjustments <laughs> <laughs> or like not use milk. Well, I mean, inflation in Turkey right now, everything is five times what it used to be. Yeah, and also that. I think that's why Zoe mentioned that um, scenario where 
women in developed countries are more likely to get breast cancer because they have more soy milk because it's cheaper here and e- even in India it's so much more expensive so people just don't buy mm. soy milk or almond milk yeah, they we just don't get know what study she looked at but I feel like they might have controlled for that honestly really you think so or is it like a fake statistical um, article you know who's Could trying be. there's to so make... many yeah there are <laughs> I think right. it's more about digestion because I yeah. don't know. There's more allergies in America, so maybe the reactions could be like that. I don't. I have no idea actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, the bottom line is we know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Just choose whatever milk Just you don't like, drink guys. Milk. <laughs> well, don't drink milk every decision you make could have a good or bad impact on anything. So it's really hard to like narrow down and pick something Did that strictly has good a good place? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No like in that show nobody has gotten into the good place for like the last five hundred yeah. years because everything has such negativity attached. It it's been Come out on. for like so long. It's not even a spoiler anymore. But yeah. Good show if you're into learning about the afterlife and want to be existential World once a week. Philosophy. <laughs> okay. Political correctness? Sounds good. (laughs) So, I have personal feelings about political correctness, especially in America. I think it's overdone, honestly, and I think it's uh, it's a restriction for people to voice out their real thoughts. So, that's what I got. Do Do you have examples? Yeah, I was just going to ask. Someone in the, it's one of the members were, I think, talking about how um, there was this was that during the meeting? Well, there was this one guy in like a woman's class, and like everyone was. Oh, I. Gen- like a, there's a. I think this was my example. Yeah. One of my friends. Um, but no, like, we were talking about how sometimes people feel like they can't speak up in class because of their identity. Like, for example, a straight white male might not feel cl- comfortable in a class about, I don't know, women's reproductive health and doesn't want to participate, and I think. It's nice that he's being mindful and like wanting to give time to others, but I think it's also important to incorporate different perspectives on an issue, especially when it comes to political issues. Maybe it might not be so fitting for like a women's reproductive health class, but in a lot of other scenarios, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where I feel like PC culture has prevented people from contributing to a conversation. Bless you, Dennis. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for example, in that class, maybe, we don't know, I'm making the assumption that maybe he doesn't want to just share his thoughts, but he maybe wants to ask a question too, but he might feel like he's not asking it politically correctly and he's just going to get, like, judged over it, basically, and he doesn't share, and then how do you learn more about it, you know? I think there is a difference between being, like, mindful, like you said, being, like, ethical about it, you know? Like, I'm not going to say even offensive because taking an offense is your own thing I think but um, allowing people to just tell what they want to talk about is pretty critical I think and I don't think you need to put rules around it I think political correctness is getting more intense and intense and intense and then you're like you can't talk about anything if you don't know all of these like verbs and stuff then you can't learn anything about it you know I think there needs to be a different way of discussion that is based on proper dialogue you know like it's not like only if you're going to talk about politics you should be 
so um, careful about your word choices. You know, it, I think it's more a general topic about how to talk in certain situations. And this just narrows it. I think it makes it so shallow, honestly. Talk, uh, talking about the class example, I feel like the professors themselves won't necessarily say anything because they're, I, I hope so. I hope that they're encouraged by administrators to like have a more open space where students can express their thoughts and opinions freely. I think it's a lot about social e exclusion where s if someone has a certain thought, they might not bring it out because they feel like their peers might not agree with them. So talking about that guy in um, the women's studies um, class, that guy might not feel comfortable it's not even about political correctness anymore. It's just about him or anyone else in a similar situation just not feeling comfortable enough to voice their opinions. I also think that, um, at least in my experience at BU so far, professors have not done a good job of differentiating between opinion in fact, when it comes to an open discussion, I'm totally cool with people having an open discussion about their opinions. But when someone says something wrong, the professor, it's like their job as a moderator for the conversation to be like, that's factually incorrect or that's, you know, you know, not acceptable as part of an argument. And I think that's also going along with the idea that we shouldn't be suppressing people from talking, but rather like if they say something inflammatory or something that you don't agree with, instead of just trying to shut them out or like block them from talking, just argue against it. Because if they have an invalid argument and you're able to argue against it, then that should be very clear. But yeah, no, I mean, some PU professors, some classes I've taken on very sensitive topics. Like I took this class on modern Islam and it was a very discussions-based class. We talked about everything from um, like the Taliban to like uh, the modernist movement in the early 20th century and very, very sensitive topics with a really diverse class. And um, we had undergrads, grad students, like people from all over. And often some people would say some really questionable things um, that are just factually incorrect. And sometimes people just have opinions that I didn't agree with. But the professor, regardless, didn't do anything about it when it did get really uncomfortable and people said the wrong things. But um, I think there should be some moderation there. Why doesn't you correct them? I personally didn't because someone else had already done that actually. So like another student would check them sometimes, but then they would just get into this like kind of fighting match. Yeah, I think that's, I was gonna, I was gonna yeah. touch upon that sometimes. Um, when you don't have the same opinion with someone or when they're, you think they're factually wrong, people get really aggressive about it. And I think that sometimes if you get aggressive about it, that kind of shows that you might be wrong too. And people can't really, like you said, like argue against it. And if you really calmly argue against it and like give your own proper facts, well, the person people checking get them. so angry again. Like they're like, yeah. even if you reply calmly, because I mean, there's a status quo bias. They don't want to get mm. away from their thoughts. We're talking about that before, too. Mm -hmm. I actually learned the economic model of that for <laughs> status quo bias. Do you want to talk about it or is it just a lot right now? <laughs> I'd have to like have a whiteboard. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. In behavioral econ? Yeah. 
exciting, exciting stuff. So I think uh, like one of the main problems with political correctness right now is that, like how you mentioned, people instead of trying to uh, listen and like check facts, they just try to shut them down mm -hmm. and not let them speak. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that in a lot of areas, mainly in the entertainment business, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, with all the people getting offended and they just uh, boycott, try to boycott some stuff because they maybe don't agree with mm -hmm. how something was expressed. Well, I think boycotting is fine if you're like making an individual choice to like not go to a speech or something, right? I feel like that's okay because you're not preventing them from talking, right? Like let's say a controversial figure came to a college campus and wanted to talk and... Um, you did not like that. A lot of people get really upset and like say, oh, we should like disinvite the speaker and they shouldn't be allowed at all. And some people say, okay, like invite them, but we just won't go. So I feel like that's one thing, but. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just referring to the, not not uh, trying to ruin the event, for example. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, I shutting them down instead yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, I also think that like not going to that speech is also sometimes wrong, I feel like, because if you're so against them, I think that's the person you need to like listen out the most so that whenever their followers like try to do like something that you're not agreeing with, then you can literally talk about everything they talk, everything this figure talked about and give out all your counter arguments. And then you're ready for it. You know, people really like shut down people they don't want to hear about or like they're like, oh, let's not read about Trump and I'm like mm -hmm. yeah you don't read about Trump great <laughs> like what are you gonna do like that's, that's not gonna change anything learn as much as you can f um, about your opposition's thoughts so you can better construct your own arguments against it is my life advice it's <laughs> a good point definitely good life advice <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyone else have anything to say about PC culture I also think that we were talking about how like you should argue against or something. I also think that you don't need to argue against everything, and sometimes mm -hmm. just li listen to people. And if you, you know, like how your professor didn't reply to them, basically, you don't need to. You can just let thoughts be out there in the table, and people will pick up whatever they want. So I kind of like I'm playing the devil's advocate for your professor, but <laughs> uh, maybe he was trying to let that happen and let you guys decide what is right and what is it wrong. It was a she. Don't she, assume. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I assume that that's the only. <laughs> now that you mention arguing all the time, I have a very extreme example. I had this. I have this friend who argues literally every single point that you put forward to him, even if it's like. Oh, um, I how are you friends with him? <laughs> it's not easy, trust me. It's not easy at all. Because even if you say something like, "Oh, I love coffee. I have coffee every day," he's gonna have so many arguments yeah, against okay. that, and it just gets so <laughs> tiring. Because okay, you can sometimes it's good because you're using your brain power to like argue about stuff, and you can. Um, it's just not easy to argue about every single thing. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to be friends with him, so definitely don't argue about everything. Yeah, for sure. That gets annoying. The only time I will do that is when um, someone in this room picks up a cigarette and I want them to stop. Ooh. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, that's really annoying. I hate when people do that. 
Yeah. Honestly, I do that sometimes to irritate like, others, but you know. Just like non-stop devil's advocates. And then <laughs> yeah. that again, you need to practice being able to accept mm -hmm. other people having opposite thoughts than you. you know? mm -hmm. It's like choosing your battles. You don't need mm -hmm. to argue about every single exactly. thing. Exactly. And I think there's a problem with wanting to make everyone think the way you think too. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're trying to push that onto others like constantly, then I might question if you are sitting down and um, questioning your own rights, you know, mm -hmm. if you're constantly trying to make other people believe in what you believe in. Maybe you're not checking on your own thoughts, which brings us to listening, I think, from here. Yeah, something kids in philosophy, politics, economics, IR, anthropology, I don't know, any of Sociology. the social sciences, um, we're notoriously bad at listening to other people because we like to hear ourselves talk oh. and everyone thinks they have a super valid opinion about every single topic, exactly. um, which is honestly kind of what our club is about, but we do. Exactly. We're making a podcast about their own thoughts. Exactly. Literally, <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, when we were making it, we we're like, we just wanted to kind of like look back on our discussions. Um, but yeah, no, it's something. For you guys. <laughs> it's something we all need to work on. Um, if anyone wants to touch on that a little bit more. So I was talking about how um, people just try to form replies to other people while they're technically listening to them. So if someone's talking to you in front of you and then uh, you're constantly interrupting them, it means that you were forming your reply the whole time they were talking. You weren't really listening. Really listening is just concentrating on what they're saying and then taking a moment to see what you want to reply as and then reply. If you take this little moment afterwards and if you practice this i believe that you can really um, teach your brain like to purely focus on when someone's telling uh, to you and then allow um, let your like tell your brain that you're going to give time to your brain to form a reply after they're done and then reply and i think we need to all practice that a lot <laughs> i'm definitely guilty of doing that i i interrupt people a lot and it's gotten better now because i've I'm more self-aware. I know that this is something I do, so I've, I stop myself from doing that. But I think every time someone's speaking, like how I'm speaking right now, you all are forming responses in your mind. And I think that's a part of listening, and it's not separate from listening. Because when you listen, what active listening is, you take in whatever whatever the person in front of you is saying, and then you respond to that. So when you respond to someone, you're obviously taking all the information that they give you and then using that, putting forward a response. So at every point in a conversation, everyone is thinking of what they're going to say. Yeah, I think the, the difference is not maybe not how you listen, but what intention you have when you're going to talk. Because I don't agree that we are just, you know, here to listen to <laughs> our correct opinions. But <laughs> <laughs> I think the difference is when when you approach a discussion, the important thing is not going to a discussion just to hear your arguments and hear you like talking. Mm -hmm. But instead of instead of going to, into a discussion with an open mind and instead of talking to just put your arguments out there, talk to see how other people respond to them. Mm -hmm. I salute you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I kind of agree with Shrey. I mean, like, I kind of agree with both of you. I'm definitely bad at this sometimes. Um, when, especially in class, like, I notice, like, if, if participation is a big part of class and you just, like, need to get something in to get the points, 
sometimes I'm just like not listening some, when pe- mm. people talk because like it's my my motivation to like get a good grade supersedes like that's why I'm kind of struggling with this whole idea of like having participation be like a huge chunk of you know your grade because I feel like people should do it for the sake of doing it and hearing others like what you were talking about mm-hmm. but when you have that incentive to like get a good grade it's like I don't care what someone else is saying I'm just going to talk so that the professor is going to award me points which is kind of sad but that's why I like the idea of PPE so much and like doing rant about it because like in our last rant about it Thomas like taught us so much about every topic. I feel like we picked some topics that we didn't know much about. And Thomas is a member who attends our events regularly. He is yeah. smarter than all of us, honestly. Like he's so smart. But um yeah, no, like I love hearing Yeah. I legitimately enjoyed like hearing about APAC and other topics like that. Um so yeah, it I don't even remember what my initial point was. But basically you're all right. <laughs> We're saying how you can't listen, you know, you just <laughs> forgot everything you said. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even listen to myself. And even when you were talking, so I was trying. I mean, <laughs> I agree that sometimes we do form our own thoughts and like it's hard for me to concentrate to begin with. So. <laughs> um, but when you were talking, I literally would repeat everything you said in my mind to focus on what you're saying. I realize I think that's how I like try to listen to people. I repeat like your words as you say them. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't think about anything else. <laughs> like I tried hard, you know, like maybe hard, right? I'm not sure now. They I made us do an, sorry, they made us do an activity during one of our RA weekly meetings about active listening. And they gave us like a prompt and we would just like tell a story about an experience we had with a resident. And we just, the other person had to be extremely silent and not respond at all. Um, and then afterwards kind of, engage in active listening and kind of repeat what you said and I found it super uncomfortable when when I was telling the story and someone else was just being silent and they were giving me visual clues about like being interested because the way I gauge interest when someone is talking to me is like if they're eager to respond or like you know what I mean or they're just giving me vocal affirmations and that's how I like talk to people as well so it definitely differentiates between people and their own uh, interpretations of how people actively listen. Is the silence annoying for you? It's it, it's unsettling, honestly. It's uncomfortable. I don't know I why. Maybe to learn how to listen, we need to be comfortable with silence. Too. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm like you because I, I think people are more interested in what I'm saying when they're trying to respond instead of just... Just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. We, sort of talked, we sort of talked about silence in our last podcast too. But um, silence, yeah, we sort of touched on it, I think. But um, silence, some people use that as a power move because apparently people, because people don't like silence, and if I'm in a conversation, say if it's just me and Sarah and we're talking and I don't say anything for a while, Sarah is just going to fill up that space with random information and she's just going to give me all of her secrets. So people actually (laughs) use that as a power move. That has happened before. And it it works. It I can attest that it works. It definitely works. Um, another thing about listening, I briefly mentioned this before the podcast began, but I was meeting with a professor. He's an older male, and I got really 
annoyed, I guess, with the way our conversation was going because I felt like I wasn't being heard. He was asking me, this was the first time we met, so he was asking me a lot of questions about myself, where I'm from, why I'm studying econ, stuff like that. And every time he asked me a question, he wouldn't let me respond. Like, he just kept talking. And I don't know if that's his way of having a conversation that's, like, very normal to him. <laughs> like, it literally, it was like so a once... I was sitting there, silent, for, like, five minutes just staring at him with a very annoyed look on my face because he was trying to get to know me, quote-unquote, <laughs> and yet he was talking most of the time. And just... And then he got into, like, mansplaining my culture to me, and then I got very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think listening should be a very important part of... Um, dialogue within the social sciences and particularly with econ because I've met a lot of econ people myself included at times who are very socially unaware or socially inept like they just do not know how to have a conversation and it's something we all need to work on but yeah maybe you should have a listening class (laughs) (laughs) so we don't know if your professor was bad at listening because he actually didn't listen to you I literally I I don't know at all like I really I just (laughs) Yeah, it was a great experience. <laughs> I definitely feel that. And then sometimes, like, when people are just talking to you nonstop, I, maybe it's my silence power move, but I will just stay, stare, mm-hmm. and then, like, ignore the conversation and move <laughs> on, literally. Okay, no, that happens with me, too. If yeah. someone speaks for too long, I just zone out, and my mind just goes to a different planet. I talk a lot. Do you guys do that to me? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> maybe... <laughs> I wanted to mention before we moved on from the, the political correctness thing. No, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about, as we mentioned, instead of shutting down, people should instead listen and not argue with everything, but try to keep a productive conversation. What do you think about uh, going like further from political correct- correctness, maybe into hate speech. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about uh, not giving a platform to people that are usually controversial or that may take advantage of that uh, line? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. um, So I think we should... It's all about freedom to speech, right? And especially in America where everyone is really... Everyone just wants freedom to speak, whatever is on their mind. And we might not agree with what the other person has to say, but that person still has the freedom to speak their mind openly and freely. So we can listen to them and we can, you know how they say, like, one in, uh, take it in from one ear and take it out from the other. Mm. You, you don't need to pay attention to it, but you cannot stop them from saying what they have to say because it's their right to say their, speak their mind. I'm really conflicted about this topic mm-hmm. because while I do agree with you, and I think it's it becomes really tricky when you talk about hate speech, right? And I think of like a lot of, for example, Trump supporters that we didn't know were Trump supporters in the 2016 election and how the polls were so completely wrong and trying to figure out why were they wrong. And so a lot of people suggested that um, a lot of people didn't proclaim to be Trump supporters um, in the polls because, I don't know, they were just afraid to speak their mind. Yeah. And then um, you have people like 
what's his name Milo Yiannopoulos yeah he's like a, he's so, yeah yeah he he like definitely says some very hateful things I think they blocked him off of Twitter yeah he's prevented, banned yeah he was banned from like going to college campuses as well and so while part of me is like they should not have a platform because I think hate speech might be considered separate from free speech I think it also prevents us from figuring out like who their base is you know what I mean and like what other people think that way um and so it's a really hard thing line. to talk about. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's really, really difficult to draw the line between free speech and hate speech. And I think you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. It's really, really difficult to define because you can find so many exceptions. So how would you define free, free, free speech then? I really, like, that's the thing. I don't want to define it. I think that my problem with this is, for example, if today we define A as hate speech and we don't let them talk, tomorrow they might be like ruling the country and they might make B hate speech and mm-hmm. not allow us to talk, you know? Because I think that if you're going to suppress them right now, you you have to, if you, if you make that like a law t- so that they can't talk, then one day they might do the same thing to like our uh, people who think like us, like anti-hate speech might be become like the bad thing yeah i think it is important to kind of this may be simplifying it a lot but i think we need to we need to see how hate looks if that makes sense for example in order to recognize what hate speech is we need to see people like doing it Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's not allowing it but it's just not suppressing it in order to see that is wrong in order to recognize it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, in my opinion, I think free speech, uh, the line should be drawn on uh, just uh, inciting physical violence, maybe. I also believe that words have a lot of power. Like, it doesn't have to be physical. And I understand, like, your research module <laughs> kind of, like, let them do it so we can see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But the words they use at that point are going to hurt people before you can finish your research. Mm. So it's not like, oh, let's just let them make hate speech and then we'll stop them. That's still going to have consequences. And I agree, like, physical violence is much, much more terrible, I agree. But um, hate speech does really can... It makes people kill themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it does still have extreme power. Um, But I don't think that by suppressing it, you can ever get rid of it, you know? When you suppress hate speech, it comes out even more. Like today, with racism. Yeah, it's it's a really difficult topic to navigate, and everyone's going to have a million opinions, and it'll definitely change with the times, too. Like, So once again, we don't know anything. We, yeah, we really, <laughs> truly don't want to be making definitive statements here. Absolutely not. Yeah. Do not quote us. <laughs> yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Khrushchev also stop people from speaking against communism? Who? Khrushchev. Oh, did he? Yeah. I mean... So that's probably I'm so, I'm not surprised actually. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, that like, was people probably still think socialism and communism is the same thing. Like you suppress it and then look at people. <laughs> so in in that era, their idea of hate speech was probably people talking about democracy and freedom. Mm. So it just really depends on I guess the. That's what Dennis was saying. Yeah, yeah. People use it to their political advantage, defining one thing over another. Yeah. Yeah. What a life. Oh, no, right? <laughs> what a life. So should we move on to the next topic, foreign intervention? 
You were very excited about this you topic. You were very excited. Uh, <laughs> Are you still excited? Um, sure, yeah. I can talk about foreign intervention. Um, so foreign intervention is, again, a very broad term. But even how do you even define foreign intervention? So um, you could talk about colonialism, or you could just talk about a different kind of intervention where there is military rule. Mm but isn't, there isn't a colonial settlement there. Um, and I think a big part of it all, it depends on what we call as normative ideas, which is basically your beliefs about what is wrong and what is right, and that keeps on changing. So it's like a, it's a cycle. Normative ideas shape our laws, and the laws in turn shape normative ideas again. So it's, it's like a positive feedback loop. So... Um, during, um, this is before, or during colonialism, it was okay for Western powers, as they saw it, to go to a different country, settle there, and maybe have extractive institutions there, where they would take all the resources and send it back to send it back to their, um, send it back to the metropolis. So this is how they thought of the international system, it was right for them to go there, civilize these savages, mm. and um, also make sure that their country is being benefited from that. So, th- and and after that, the whole idea of the uh, normative ideas changed again. So now, um, colonialism wasn't right. So now, um, people, if a country, say now a country goes and colonializes a different country, the whole world's going to shun them. So a big part of this is also social exclusion. Countries won't do it because they don't want to be excluded from the um, global stage. They want to be a part of it. And follow social norms. And follow social norms. And these Mm -hmm. norms, these norms, these rules are built by our idea of what is right and what is wrong. And so I'm kind of wondering about the shift from thinking colonialism is okay to realizing that it's absolutely horrible and how, I guess, states cloak their foreign interventions under the guise of humanitarianism as opposed to... Because like a lot of, I guess, Western countries will go to places like Afghanistan and say, oh, I want to bring democracy to here. I want to bring democracy to Iraq. And I'm just wondering, is it really out of their goodwill? Or are there other incentives to come to these countries? And what are those incentives? And how different is that from the incentives that drove colonialism and the mindset that people had towards people in the Middle East, for example? Exactly. So, <laughs> so colonialism is... I'm not saying they're the same. I'm saying the motivations might right. not have changed yeah, that but much. But in the 1950s, they just changed the term. The term. Right. So I, there are some... Colonialism was not a good thing, okay, mm-hmm. but there were still so many benefits that came out of it. Like, mm-hmm. there were so many um, traditions that were being followed, like sati in India. Do you mm-hmm. guys know yeah, what sati yeah. is? So sati is basically when if a husband died and they would burn the body, the, the wife, the woman was You're, supposed yeah. to, she, was, she had to jump in the fire and die on the spot with the husband. What? Self-immolation, basically, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and a lot of other practices like child marriage, mm. they were very prevalent in India back then, and they, um, 
the colonizers, they had a big role in ostracizing these traditions. Mm -hmm. And that is why we don't follow them anymore. So, yes, colonialism is not the best, mm -hmm. but it did have some positive um, effects on the country. Um, infrastructure development is also a big thing, too. Infrastructure is a big, big thing. Um, all the, the whole parliament system that they left mm -hmm. is still how... The government runs in India, but again, like I, I want to kind of emphasize that it. I don't think those advancements in politics or culture had to be made during colonialism, or like India, for example, didn't need the British to come and civilize them. You could have had educated elites in India mm -hmm. go to the West, learn democratic ideals, and bring a new parliamentary system on their own and people would have been much more receptive to someone in India governing India as opposed to having an outsider tell them their livelihood is wrong. And I think that's the biggest contention we have. So I have two two things to say about that. First of all, it's just that was their definition of civilization. Mm -hmm. It was basically westernization. So um, a country couldn't have civilized um, without actually learning from the West, because that, that was their idea of civilization. And um, I think India was very divided. Like, it wasn't a country mm, how yeah. it is, how it was after colonialism as it was before that, because it was just a group of a lot of different princely states that mm. were ruled by different kings, right? So, it's like a federal system, kind of. Yeah, so um, we don't know what might have happened mm -hmm. if the British hadn't colonized India. We don't even know if India would have been this big this big country mm -hmm. as it is right now because um, the, um, they used colonialism as, um, the, as a movement, um, not colonialism, I mean, um, they just, they used the united um, India behind the... Um, Nationalist movement, or so the nationalist movement. Okay, yeah, that's the word. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they united the whole country. The leaders like Mahatma Gandhi and mm -hmm. like Sardar Vallabhbhai Patel, Nehru, all of those leaders. They united the whole country um, under nationalist nationalisms, and they needed to have and uh, an enemy to fight against, and mm -hmm. that was the British. And if British weren't there, they might not have that enemy so yeah. they couldn't have united the whole state mm -hmm. India might not have existed mm -hmm. you guys want to well, say anything about um, foreign okay. intervention if the westerners didn't take over Turkey we wouldn't have Turkey right now I don't, <laughs> I don't think like that um, it's not that we wouldn't have India I like, think what you're saying is like you guys made a terrible situation beneficial for yourself and that's not because they came and colonized you. That's because you guys were strong enough to be, hold on to your culture and fight against it and reform in the global perspective. I think that it's also about globalization, how you, these adaptations are being made. And there's still a heritage of child brides in Turkey, for example. Mm. And even though we're like westernized in the eyes of the East, we, there's still so many of those problems. And like colonization didn't help us restructure that. You know, like we had a figure who literally like educated himself and modernized the country mm -hmm. and i definitely agree that it has to be it has to come from your own culture because like for example i'm i came to america and i'm trying to understand american culture and then if i go and explain it to an american would that be appropriate you know i can only 
give a um, give my own understanding with the comparisons of my own culture. So I'm only I can only make facts about another culture by comparing it to my own rights, like to my own um, like structure that I was born into, you know. Um, so I think that to develop India, like you said, you need to have someone from within and like helping if they really wanted to help then they would have taken a few people educated them <laughs> and brought you back and not exploit you or like really. it's okay with i'm okay with like having advisors from another country if you really like a particular model that they're using in their mm -hmm. government um that's great but i'm just very for i mean like we're in this age of like having states and um, self-determination and all that is since what, the 20th century. And so since we're in this time, it, I think it's really important, especially for people in a de democratic system, to have leaders who are advocating for their own country and the um, positive aspects of their own culture as opposed to, I mean, yeah, there are things like child marriage, which I think is objectively wrong, um, but it's rampant, especially in that part of the world through the Middle East a and, and a lot of, yeah, I mean, like, it happens everywhere, actually. I think that's more of a rural-urban problem, and that's a whole other thing we can discuss potentially next time. Um, but, yeah, I think it's... Colonization, while it did have its benefits, didn't have to happen in the first place. And so when we talk about foreign intervention, um, I, I always tie back to, like, Afghanistan and the situation in Afghanistan now, and people are, like, scrambling to figure out, oh, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? Like, it's so messed up. Um, but why did it start in the first place? Mm -hmm. Going back to what you mentioned a while ago, saying if, if foreign inter intervention was totally selfless in a way, like, mm -hmm. they're doing it because it's a good thing mm -hmm. for the other country. Is it is it a bad th Is it really a bad thing that it's not truly selfless because... I would like to put an example for uh, you were talking about Afghanistan and mm -hmm. we could also talk about uh, Iraq and mm -hmm. the whole mess that it was mm -hmm. that in in hindsight with a with all of the information that has come out now mm -hmm. we can see that it was a money grab <laughs> basically mm -hmm. so uh, but for example right now we have a situation we can see in Venezuela mm -hmm. where it's not the same thing at all I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's not yeah. the same thing but um, uh, United States has has been saying, has been trying to get into the political situation there, endorsing the interim president right now. But um, what I'm trying to say is we have a humanitarian crisis mm -hmm. there that is fully documented and you, we can see it. Mm -hmm. um, is it a bad thing that the United States is trying to uh, intervene, even if it's not totally selfless in this case? That's a good question, and I don't have the answer, but it does... It's really important because yeah. um, even if, like, let's say in this situation, the U.S. does intervene and they do it for, you know, self-serving reasons, but the outcome is good. How can you say that what they did was incorrect or, like, mm -hmm. morally wrong, right? It's really difficult if you are focusing on, like, what the outcome could potentially be. Yeah. And so I'm not trying to make an entire, like, moral judgment that, like, if you only intervene in foreign countries for the purpose of, like... I don't know, promote advancing your own state's interests. There could be mutual interests as well. Um, but yeah, it's a really difficult question to answer. I mean, people in IR try to answer this all the time and nobody can really say. It's kind of difficult to say, I think. But 
I don't think any country has ever selflessly intervened. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a uh, at all an, a yeah, selfless no. like act no, no, no. <laughs> that you can do. <laughs> yeah, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. Is there any positive foreign interventions you've seen? Hmm. There Thank have to be. Um. I mean, we could talk about how Western values sometimes are. Uh, well, t- going back to the kind of uh, this practices the the wife uh, burning sati, stuff. Mm-hmm. yeah, sati, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, th- you could see that as a positive outcome that they're stop they stop doing that. Um, I'm wondering. I mean, I'm not well read on this topic, but I'm wondering if like the colonizations banned it like did they ban that from happening or they raised the child marriage age I think is what they did to kind of ease the country so in that direction th- they're talking about sati which is the practice of oh okay okay um, I don't know why I'm asking like if other westernization mm-hmm. um, I don't know even like infrastructure like did other aspects allow this tradition to dissipate and modernize or was it a direct information to that tradition was it a what a direct, direct inf- intervention to that tradition it, it, i think it was a direct intervention they saw that this was being practiced and it was even if the women didn't want to themselves jump in the fire because who would want to do that <laughs> um they were forced to do so by their in-laws or their their community. families yeah. their community so they saw this practice wasn't good and I'm personally not sure what steps exactly they took, but I know for a fact that they took certain steps to mm. ban this uh, practice. And now it doesn't happen anymore in India. Sati is not something that happens. I'm glad. Maybe, yeah. oh, I might be wrong, maybe in some rural... Yeah. And some of course, probably this didn't apply the other way around, right? What do you mean? I guess men die earlier. No, 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 no. It didn't apply the other way around. Mm, no. Because it, it's, like, about protecting her honor or something. No, or no? if he's dead, she's dead, basically. Oh, like, like she's dead in society's eyes, like, she doesn't exist because her husband's dead? It's, I think it's that she's not supposed to go on with her life if her husband dies. She's um, also supposed to just end it. Oh. Wow, what a life. <laughs> yeah. On I that know. beautiful note. <laughs> um, yeah, well... I will end on a positive note, actually. Yes. You asked if Glad. there are any positive foreign interventions. Professor Miller actually always talks about um, the Professor U.S. Professor Manjari Miller is great, and she teaches IR-372 and IR-506 and a lot of other classes, and I highly recommend that you take <laughs> at least one class with her. Yeah, she's absolutely wonderful, and I learned I so much in every one of her classes. But um, she did mention the intervention in Darfur as a positive aspect of President Bush's administration. So... Um, what was this? Hmm? What was this? There was a genocide. And so the U.S., there, were, there was an international response, but the U.S. issued sanctions. Um, and I'm not entirely sure on the details of the intervention, but um, she did discuss whether or not the U.S. government was motivated by, um, you know, George Bush trying to please his evangelical Christian base or like they just wanted to intervene um, because a genocide was going on. So um, yeah, I guess that would be a positive for an intervention. And yeah. On that note, (laughs) we would like to thank you for listening to our podcast and stay tuned and make sure you listen to our next podcast, which will be coming out very soon.